All right, Shabbos, say good morning or good night, everyone. Begin by thanking our sponsor, our Talmud Torah sponsors, for the month of Nisan, to thank Stephen Tarizin for dedicating all the Shurim and Drashos this month. With gratitude to Hashem, welcoming their first grandchild, Adin Svi Hachbaum, to Benjamin and Elise Wall of Eretz Yisrael for dedicating the Shurim and Drashos this month. With appreciation to those who make the Shurim available beyond the confines of the base manager, specifically Maishi Abramson and Jeremy Lassen. Thank Bat Shimi and Bat Sheva Messing for dedicating all the Shurim this month in honor of the Bas Mitzvah of their daughter Laila. And to thank Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all the Shurim and Joshos this month in memory of Paul's parents, Shmuel ben Zechariah, Leah Bas Avram, and his great grandmother, Cyril Bas Rabdov. We thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Neil and Pam Weissman, for dedicating the Shurim this week in loving memory of Pam's father, Hachazin Yisrael Zundel ben Yehuda Leib. We also thank our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Nathan and Beth Adler, for dedicating the shir this morning in memory of Mr. Bernard Kiwi. Zichron Levrachel, whose levaya is this morning, a beautiful dedication, a mentor, and consummate gentleman. I remember his smile, thoughtfulness, warmth, humility, sweetness, and humor. Mr. Kiwi spent a lifetime showing the rest of us how to brighten a life and a world and bringing simcha to others as the shul candy man. He leaves a void that will not easily be filled, but he leaves a magnificent legacy. Yehi zichro baruch. Amen. Also with that, let us begin. So we have a lot to do today, and I apologize a little bit of a, of a shortened time frame because of the Levaya this morning. My apologies for that. Today's daf is Yud Aleph 11. We are picking up Emir Hashem. On Yud Amud Bey's 10b, we're picking up Tana Rabbi Huda, which is right where we left off yesterday, which is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 17 lines up from the bottom. So the Gemara says as follows Tana Rabbi Huda, good godos. Hakitoris Vichal Karbano Satsibor, Ba'in Mitchuma Salishka. So we'll say, remember again, resuming the really fascinating discussion about what funds. Pay for what things within the confines of the or within the base Hamikdosh. So now the Gemara Rabbi Huda says that was his name. Rabbi Good Gudos says that Halacha Lamaisa the Ketores as well as all communal offerings. Remember Ketores refers to the incense as well as all communal offerings. Bar Mitrumas Halishka. Rabbi says so Trumas Halishka refers again to the withdrawal of the Machzis Hashakel. So it was paid for from the Machzis Hashakel, the half shekel collection. Mizbeach Hazav v'Chol Klisharis. The golden altar, remember again, the Mizbeach Hazav was the inner altar on which Ketores was offered. The Chokli Sharis, as well as any other service utensils, Ba'in Mimosar Nesachim. They come from the leftover Nesachim. Now, obviously, we saw this term in the Mishnah, and we have not yet defined it. We're going to define it on your Aleph and Aleph. But they are paid for from the leftover of the Nesachim. Now, of course, Nesachim literally means what? Wine libations. So what exactly that means, we'll have to see. But apparently, again, there's another fund. Just remember this term, Mosar Nesachim. The funds from the leftover Nesachim. Mizbeach HaOla, the altar for the Ola. Now, of course, the altar for the Ola refers to which altar? What we call the Mizbeach HaChitzon, which was the large altar outside of the actual, call it, structure of the Beis HaMikdash. We call it again the Mizbeach HaNechoshes, the copper altar. So Mizbeach HaOla, Vahaheicha Vahazaros, 
All of these things are the Mizrach, all the Heichal, the Azaras. Nebose, interestingly enough, here, the Gra, you see that little Gimel in brackets? So the Gra changes the next two lines, which are incredibly important. See, he says, he says, if you look at the little Gimel, Mizbech HaOla, Mi Bedek Bo'in, Mi Bedek Habayis. He says, ultimately, again, that comes from the Bedek Habayis fund. Now, we discussed this yesterday. Bedek Habayis was like a, like a building fund. You know, this was, a, this was a fund for the upkeep of the structure of the Beis HaMikdash. Chutz La'Azaros, the Gra continues, Chutz La'Azaros, Bo'in Mishyare Halishka. Anything outside of the Azara, which is the courtyard of the Beis HaMikdash, anything outside of the Azara comes from Shiyore Halishka, comes from the leftover of the Machzis HaShekel. So that's how the Gra changes that. I, the Gemara says, Vahatani, Avni HaMizbeach, HaHeichal Vahazaros Molden Bahan. But yet we learned that the stones of the Mizbeach, as well as the Heichal and the Azaros, you could commit mi'ilah if you misuse it. But if you tell me that it's paid for with the leftover machzis ashekel, is there any mi'ilah from machzis ashekel? And of course, the answer to that is no. I'm sorry. We'll say, remember again, this is the famous shita of Rav Meir. When I say famous, I mean that we've quoted it, you know, four times in the last three days. So Rav Meir holds, although in general we say that the leftover machzis ashekel is not subject to me'ilah, Rabbi Meir holds that it is. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Meir, Amar Mo'alim B'Shirayim. Rabbi Meir says that in fact, the left Romach says a shekel is in fact subject to Shirayim. Amar Avchiyah, Kluma Rameir Elbazo Shnaso. But even Rabbi Meir only said that within the year. However, Vahacha, Chutz Lishnaso Anu Kaimen. But yet again, we're talking about monies even used potentially outside of the year. Therefore, the Gemara says it can't be that these items mentioned above were paid for from the leftover Maxis Ashekel. So I'll say, so the Gemara kind of leaves that alone. The point that you begin to see from this and the, the takeaway from this is that remember, different things were paid for from different funds. I was speaking about this with Avron after the shir yesterday. That I will say, remember again, what the Gemara is trying to point, paint for us is an incredible picture of financial transparency. That's what's happening over here because I think a lot of times when you think about the base Hamikdash, you kind of assume money comes into a pot and you pay for whatever you have to pay for. It's like a general fund and everything. But what you begin to see from here is that is not the case. We'll say that again, there were different funds for different things. And remember, as we'll see, there was also an audit of each of these funds to see what was done with this money, to really highlight the idea that when it comes to communal funds, financial transparency is incredibly important. So the Gemara goes right to the Gemara says, Amrab Chizkiah, Tana Rabbi Yehuda, Good Gedis. He says, Hashulchan v'Amenar v'Mizbechos v'Aparochas. Ma'akvin esakabaros. We'll say a little bit of a switching gears for just a moment. So comes on Rabbi Yehuda and says as follows: The presence of the Shulchan. Remember, the Shulchan was the table upon which you would put the lechem upon him. The the menorah, the Mizbechos, two Mizbechos, inner Mizbeach for Ketores, outer Mizbeach for animal sacrifice. Parochas, which is the curtain which divides between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Ma'akvim HaSakamonos Rehmeir. Rehmeir holds all of these utensils, all of these items, are necessary for the effectiveness of the Karbanos. So if, and I will say now, again, what's unique about this? What's unique about this is that all of these are items necessary for the Karbanos, right? Again, think about it just a moment. 
I don't need a menorah to offer up ketores or to offer up an ola. I don't need a parochas for that. Obviously, I need a mizbeach. But even again, I don't need a, I don't need a mizbeach hazov, the inner mizbeach, to offer up an animal sacrifice. But yet, Rabbi Meir is explaining that all of these items, the presence of these items, are essentially fundamental to the very identity of the mikdash. And therefore, ultimately, again, without these items, one cannot offer up a carbon. Once again, the Gra changes this. Rabbi Chacham disagreed. They say the only thing that is necessary for a carbon is the Karkov and the Karen. He changes the Gra changes the gear. So we have Kiar Bahakin. Gra changes it to Karkov the Karen. But say Karkov was the decorative band that went around the Mizbeach, and Karen is a horn. Right, you will say again if you ever see pictures of the Mizbeach, the top of the Mizbeach, both the inner Mizbeach and the outer Mizbeach were not flat. On each corner they had a protrusion that came up. It's called a horn. It's called the Karen. So the Chachamim say the only thing that is Ma'akiva Karban is having a fully complete Mizbeach, which includes even the Karkov, the decorative band, as well as the horns. It will say, now this is really quite amazing. If you think about this, just the Musr of this. It's much more pronounced than Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir holds that I will say, you see, in general, for a Karban, it's not just enough to offer up the animal or to offer up the Kitores, but you need, you need the Avira, you need the atmosphere to be correct and to be complete. Yisrael Meir is much more dramatic. According to Rabbi Meir, for an effective carbon, you need a menorah, you need a shulchan, you need a parochas, you need all of these things. Which I will say, what, Rabbi, what I think what Rabbi Meir is trying to highlight is that spiritual success is not just dependent on doing the right actions. Spiritual success is fundamentally dependent on setting yourself up in the right atmosphere. And we know this from our own lives. If my surroundings are not conducive to my spiritual growth, it's very difficult to get real traction. It's just the way that it is. You could offer up the right carbon. You could offer up the right ketores. You could do all the right things. But if you're not surrounded by the right spiritual accoutrement or accessories, it's just hard to get real movement. Even the Chachamim agree with that. The Chachamim is just the Shaila ultimately again of how far you take it. So as Rabbi Meir will require you ultimately to have all of these things, the Chachamim just say the Karkov and the Karen is enough. The Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, V'lochin Amr Abelaz, Amr Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi Ben Chanino, Trehan Amrin, Kolhein, Kolhein, Dechsev, Nochach, Ma'akev, Tzela ino ma'akev. So we'll say now another, another opinion. Another opinion, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yosef Achanino, hold it as follows. Whenever the Torah uses Lashon of Nochach, Nochach means opposite, right? So the Torah will say, this item has to be placed opposite this. Wherever the Torah uses that Lashon, so the Torah is makbid on the placement, that means that item is an indispensable cog in the wheel of sacrificial service. Tzela, whenever the Torah uses the word like to the side, Tzela means the side to the side of something, then the presence of that item is now ma'akiv for sacrificial service. Another opinion, no, even when it says tzela, even when the Torah tells you that this item must be on the side of something else, ultimately that is ma'akiv as well. We'll say, interestingly enough, now another opinion of Shlomo Nachman says, even when the Torah just uses the Lashon of Sima, 
placing something that tells you that that item is an indispensable part of sacrificial service. To which the Gemara says, how do you reconcile all of these different opinions? This is very interesting. Rabbi Hanina, Khan ba'avodos shebifnim, Khan ba'avodos shebochot. So both said, it's actually quite interesting. So it comes on Rabbi Hanina and makes a distinction between inner avoda and outer avoda. Right? They both say inner avoda referring to avoda, sacrificial service or temple service, that's done inside of the heichel, inside the actual structure of the Beis HaMikdash, versus avodah done b'chutz, outside of the heichel. So if you take a look for a moment at the Karban Ha'eda, for just a moment, which is the top parish, on the left-hand side, he writes over here, Kan shebifnim, ma'akvin. We'll say essentially whenever you do an avoda inside, it's actually very interesting. When you do the avoda inside, all of the utensils are ma'akev. Pretty much you, you need everything in place. Anytime the Torah mentioned the placement of something with whatever verbiage it used, sima, sela, uh, nochach, that tells you that that is a necessary piece of sacrificial service. However, again, the carbonate goes on about but ultimately, again, for avodas chutz, for again sacrificial service on the large outer altar, the only thing that's a necessity is the band of the mizbeach, and ultimately, again, the horns. So we'll say an interesting distinction. So the way the Gemara ends off over here is for the avoda bifnim, for the avoda bifnim, pretty much you need everything. <laughs> that's kind of what it comes down to. You need anything that says nochach sima tsela. For the avoda b'chutz, pretty much all you need is an intact mizbeach. But again, you need even the fully intact mizbeach with the decorative band, the karkom, the karkov, excuse me, and the kronos and the horns at each corner. Beautiful. Both an incredible gemara. Am Rabbi Chanina. Shachtis gedolah ha'iseh b'nei kohanim gedolim. Both say, listen to this. The, the kohanim gedolim often acted in an arrogant fashion. Arrogant fashion or, or pompous fashion. How so? Say, what, a, what a terrible statement. Listen to this. Listen to this, Rabbi Osai. Because remember again, we saw in the Mishnah a discussion regarding the ramp of the Para Aduma. Right, remember again, the Para Aduma was taken from the base Hamikdash, ultimately again to Harazesim, where it was slaughtered. And then again, the, 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 the ashes were brought back from the Harazesim, from Harazesim to the base Hamikdash. Interestingly enough, now what's the Mishnah? What was the Mishnah? What was the Mishnah? Who paid for it? Right, remember again, who paid for the Kevish? So we had one opinion that said, where did it come from? Where did it come from? Right, Shiari Halishka. First opinion of the Mishnah said that it came from the left over Machtes Hashakel. But then we saw a second opinion of the Mishnah that no, the Kohanim Gidolim used to pay for it. So now comes along Rabbi Harina and says the Kohanim Gidolim used to act in a very arrogant, you know, almost, um, what's the word? Showy fashion. That what happened? Every Kohen Gadol insisted on building his own ramp and would not use the ramp of his fellow Kohen Gadol. I was all Kohen Gadol. Even if the ramp was already there, even if there was still a ramp in existence from the last para aduma, 
every coming Gadol insisted on building his own. And I both say it was an exorbitant amount of money. You know, there's two yourselves. Either it was 60 kikar of gold or 60 kikar of silver. Either way, that's a lot of money. So interestingly enough, Rabbi Hanina understands that it was a display of, 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 of arrogance. It was a display of arrogance that every coin wanted to build his own Para Aduma bridge. So Rabbi Ula says, Rabbi Hanina, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. Meaning, you're right, but you're wrong. You're right that each Kohen Gadol built his own bridge, but it was not because of arrogance or, or, or a desire to display their wealth. It was for a different reason. I'll tell you how I know this. Vatani Shimonat Tzadik. So Shimon HaTzadik, there were two para adumas in his lifetime, which I will say is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Most times, it's, you know, it's once a generation. Two para adumas in his lifetime. What happened? So Shtei Paros, Asa, Lo Bekeves, And yet, I will say, interestingly enough, Shimon HaTzadik did not use the same ramp both times. And I both say, now this is Shimon HaTzadik, presumably he built the first ramp. And now for the second paraduma, he built the second ramp. So what are you going to tell me now? He's trying to outdo himself. So some people are like that, right? Some people try to outdo themselves. And I will say in general, trying to outdo yourself, at least in matters of Ruchnius, is an excellent thing. But I don't know that most people try to outdo themselves in matters of Gashmius. So what are you going to tell me now? Did Shimon HaTzadik build a second ramp because he wanted to, he wanted to outdo himself? That doesn't make sense. So I'm also listen to this. So, Are you going to say that Shimon HaTzadik was so pompous and arrogant that he wanted to outdo the very bridge that he built? So the Gemara says, My Kidon, the reason they built a new bridge each time for Paraduma was to reinforce in the eyes of the general populace how careful you had to be with Paraduma. Remember again, Paraduma, besides the fact that finding a para which conforms to all the details of the service is so difficult, but you know, Tuma lurks everywhere. It's a good muster in life in general, right? Tuma lurks everywhere. But specifically for Paraduma, it was a one wrong move, one wrong turn. One person's not careful. Everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. So we'll say, so the Gemara suggests something amazing. They used to construct a brand new bridge of Paraduma each and every time. Because we'll say, what happens when you construct? Think about this just a moment. We'll say, you know, there's a distance between the Harabayis and, and Harazesim, right? I've mentioned this before. You can go, we know the spot on Harazesim where they used to do the Paraduma. Now it's a monastery. But you can go there today and you can look right into Harabayis. I've, I've been there. It's incredible. I, I mentioned this before. My boys, they're Bar Mitzvah Parshas, Parshas Chukas, Paraduma. So in the summer before the Bar Mitzvah, we were in Eretz Yisrael. And we went to the spot where they did the Paraduma. They practiced their Kriya. Right on that spot of the, of the Mamsha, the Para Aduma. You look right onto Harabayas. It's, it's magnificent. We'll say, that's a big bridge. It's a big bridge. So remember, again, why do they do this, says the Gemara? They did this in order to create a lot of commotion about the Paraduma. So that the people should realize, hey, this is a Paraduma. And that the people should realize how careful you have to be with Paraduma. This wasn't done as a sign of pomposity. Is that a word? 
pompousness, right? Good. This, this wasn't the pomposity or the arrogance of the Kohen Gadol. This was to highlight in the eyes of the people how careful we have to be with Para Aduma. Okay, other examples of this. Tani, Zizin Uksalim is incredible. They had protrusions and walls. This was like a, a, essentially a covered bridge, but a covered bridge without the roof. I don't know, I guess you, call that, I guess you don't call that a covered bridge. Right? A, a walled bridge. As I was saying, the bridge was not open on the sides. Why not? Why not? So the Gemara says, Because what didn't we want? See, I was saying, here's the problem. The problem is, if you, they didn't want Kohanim looking over the side of the bridge. Because they will say, what could happen? Technically speaking, if there is a corpse below, Tuma Ola Ubokas. Right, Tuma goes up. Tuma goes up. So even if there is a Tuma in the, if, even if there's a mace in the valley below, somebody gets a little bit curious. They like heights. They want to see what's going on below. They could ruin the entire process. So both of say, turns out that yes, every historically, Rabbi is fascinating. Historically, I don't know. Somebody will have to look up this information, but I'm sure it exists. Historically, they built a new bridge every single time they went ahead and they brought the Paraduma. How many bridges was that over time? I don't know. But Lamai said they built a new bridge, but not because of the arrogance or pomposity because of the Kohanim, of the Kohanim, just the opposite, to highlight in the eyes of the people the care and concern which went into the production or the process, I should say, of Paraduma. Really incredible. Really incredible. What's that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? We're going to see that, right? Because remember, again, we're going to have, there's going to have to be a number of Paros Adumos. I guess when Mashiach comes, one of two things are going to happen. Either we're going to say, Tomohotra Betzibor. That's possible because everybody's Tameh. So maybe we're just going to, even the Kohanim, maybe we're just going to say, Tomohotra Betzibor. And the Beis Hamikdash is going to come down. And in Yeretz HaShem, we're going to have Paraduma after the fact. Or maybe Paraduma is going to be first. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's going to be amazing to see that bridge. It's going to be incredible to see that bridge whenever it's built, especially again, the, the yeah, I mean, maybe it'll be, a, I don't know, maybe they won't have to reconstruct it every time. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, Amir Tzashem, will be Zoch Amir Tzashem to see it Bikarov. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Ein Mistakrin. So also remember again, Rabbi Akiva, there was a whole discussion then in the Mishnah about what you do, what you do with leftover monies. Right, remember again the the, the Mishnah said Mosar Shiare Lishka Mahayu Osimbahan. What do they do with leftover money in the base of Just remember again, Rabbi Akiva said, What would we do? We would purchase with the base of Mitzvah, would purchase wine, oil, fine flour, and they would go ahead and sell it at a profit. Remember again that that was Rabbi Akiva. I'm sorry, that was Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Akiva said, No, we don't do commerce with communal funds. We don't come with communal funds. So as it says in the Gemara, Ela imratza yehafsid shalom ba'asaka lahekdish, mutter. So it's very interesting. Rabbi Akiva says, there is one way that I'll agree to this. If you want to, meaning if somebody wants to take responsibility to invest the money of the Beis HaMikdash with the following stipulation, they bear all of the loss, they bear all of the loss, and the profit is shared you could enter, then Rabbi Akiva says, under those circumstances, you can go ahead and, under those circumstances, you can go ahead and invest money of Hagdish. Kehada Barzimina, Ispakid Gabe Madal Diyasun. Rabbi Akiva tells a story. Because Rabbi says, it doesn't just apply to Beis Hamikdash money. This applies to any time that you are the custodian of money. So listen to this. This guy, Barzamina, Ispakid Gabe Madal Diyasun, he was put in charge, he was essentially the executor of the estate of young orphans. So he was in charge of their money. 
also v'shalor Rabbi Mana, he came and he asked Rabbi Mana, can I invest the money of the Yisomim? Right, this guy was the executive, this guy Barzimina, and he wanted to grow the money of the estate of the Yisomim. So can I invest the money of the Yisomim? So Amr in boys DF Seydedidach, if you are willing to go ahead and invest it in a way where ultimately, again, you bear all of the loss and the profits are split, then you can do that. I will say, now remember again, there's a difference here with the money of Yisom and the money of the Mikdash. If you invest the money of the Mikdash, who does the profit belong to? The Beis HaMikdash. So remember again, if you want to invest the money of the Beis HaMikdash and you're willing to say, I'll bear all the loss and essentially none of the gain, right? Because again, you're, you're doing this. That, technically, you could do that. You could do that. But by the Yisomim, it's a little bit different. Apparently by the Yisomim, the executor is permitted to share in some of the profit with that. Again, I will say, these are more like Bab Metziah, so I guess that we'll see. Rebchia Barada Ispakid Gabe Medal Diasmin Vavikin. Same idea. Rebchia Barada was an executor of the estate for Yisomim. And Halach Lamaisa, Halach Lamaisa, he went ahead and invested the money, bearing all of the loss and splitting the profit. So both say, so interestingly enough, and apparently even Rabbi Akiva, right? So Rabbi Akiva, who was invest, who was again, who was invest, who was against using surplus funds to buy oil, wine, and wheat to sell at a profit, agreed that if somebody is willing to go ahead and say, I'll bear all of the loss, and ultimately go ahead and give the gains to the Beis HaMikdosh, then Allah said that would work. I will say, of course, it presupposes that what? Obviously, I guess you'd have to run the financials on the guy who is willing to do this, right? Because somebody obviously has to, or collateralize some type of property, that if indeed there is a loss, that if there is a loss, he really does have the ability to secure it. Good. Let's go back there. Most are payrolls. So we'll say, remember again, the Mishnah introduced us the Mishnah introduced us to the idea that, Chevron Zoom, you with me? Everyone is all right there? Good, you still hear me? Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, good. It's wonderful, wonderful to see everyone. Baruch Hashem. All right, so the Gemara says as follows. Most are peros. So we'll say, if you remember again, the Mishnah introduced us to two new terms. Most are peros and most are peros and most are nesachim. So these were two more funds, two more sources of money. Most are peros, which literally means leftover fruit, and most are nesachim, which means leftover libations. The Mishnah did not tell us what those funds were. Now we're going to see. So it says the Gemara, most are peros, masnisin drabi shmoli, drabi chibar yosef, pasar masnisa, most are peros. What does most are peros mean? Schar lehekdish. Or I should say, most are peros, schar lehekdish. So we'll say, interestingly enough, most are peros, are prophets which accrue to Hagdish through the sale of wine and oil. Through the sale of wine and oil. Now understand something. We saw this back in the last cycle of Davio Mesechus, Tomit and other of the smaller Mesechus. In the Beis Hamikdash, they always had a, a, a supply of animals, wine, oil, fine flour. Why? Why? Because I will say, think about this. If you're coming to Beis Hamikdash and you're traveling from a distance, you don't really want to go ahead and you don't want to go ahead and start start. I don't want to use the word schlepping because these are sacrificial items. You don't want to start carrying items with you. So what would happen, Abosai? Again, 
the first sisterhood gift shop, right? A little bit of a throwback, right? Was at the Beis Hamikdash, right? But they didn't sell, uh, you know, silk talisim and uh, embroidered embroidered talis bags, but rather they went ahead and they sold they sold sacrificial items. I will say, obviously, they sold it at a premium. They sold it at a premium, right? This was there in order to go ahead and, and profit. So, interestingly enough, so Rabbi Shmuel holds or Rabbi Chia Bar Yosef holds. That what, what the Mishnah called Mosar Peros was the profits that came to Hekdish through the sale of wine and oil. That's Mosar Peros. Interesting wording. Mosar Nesachim. What does Mosar Nesachim mean? Zeus Sa'aravia. So we'll say this is fascinating. Sa'aravia so we'll means as follows. The base Hamikdash would enter into contracts with merchants. Contracts with merchants. And the contracts of merchants said like this. That Allah Chalamaisa, we're going to purchase, let's say, flour. At, uh, at, uh, for sa'a per, for a cella, right? For sa'a flour for a cella. Let's say the price of flour goes up. Now you can only get three sa'a of flour for a cella. The base Hamikdash contracts were locked in. Now they were only locked in though in one direction. They were always locked in only to the benefit of the base Hamikdash. So if the price of flour were to go down, then Einachinami again, the Beis Hamikdash would be able to take advantage of the new prices. So the Gemara says over here, Mosar Nesachim is what they call the Sa'aravias. That even if the price of flour went up, it would turn out that the Beis Hamikdash would end up getting more flour for the same Sela. That leftover amount, Rabbi Chia holds, is called Mosar Nesachim. Rabbi Yochanan, Pasar Masnisa, Moser Peros, oh sorry. We'll say now we have Machlokes about the definitions. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, Moser Peros, that's the, what we call Sa'aravias. That's the extra Sa'a that the Beis Hamikdash would get even if the price of flour went up because their contracts were locked in. Moser Nesachim, what does Moser Nesachim mean? Liberutsin. I'll say this is fascinating. Beirutsin means that when you sold flour to the Beis Hamikdash, see, I'll say normally, if you sell flour, let's say you're selling, I'm selling, I'm selling a Sa'a of flour to you. One Sa'a. So I go ahead and I have a saw receptacle. We'll say I pour flour into the receptacle. Then what do I do at the end? What do I do at the end? I smooth out the top of the receptacle, which makes sense. You're buying a saw flour, you get a saw. When you sold the base hamikdash, you had to, you had to. Oh, what's the right word? Um, yeah, I thank you. You had to heap it, if that's the right word, right? You had to heap the amount. So in fact, the base hamikdash ended getting up, getting a what? A saw plus a little. A saw plus a little. That's called berutsin, right? You overflow the utensil of it. I have a lesson that Rav Bar Yosef le berutsin. Does Rav Bar Yosef not hold the berutsin? Because well, remember again, in Rav Bar Yosef's model, he only had two things. He had number one, what he called the what the, the profits from the sale of wine and oil, and ultimately again what he called sa'aravias, which was the extra amount you get from locking in contracts. But he doesn't mention anything about Beirutzin, about overflowing the utensils. No, no, he does. He just held that ultimately, again, what we call Saravias. Also, remember again, the Gemara is calling Saravias means I basically contracted with me to sell them four sa'a of flour for one sella. Now the price of flour goes up. Now you can only get three sa'a of flour. For one sella, I am still obligated to honor the contract and provide four sa'a per sella. So that fourth sa'a, that's profit. That's called sa'aravias. Shabchi holds that sa'aravias and beirutsin, which means the heaping of the utensils, the overflow amount. Is that the correct word? You understand what I mean, right? The heaping of the utensils, that all goes to the same fund. 
Al daite de Bar Yosef Necha. So according to Rabbi Bar Yosef's approach, it makes sense. We say Ein mistakrin b'shal hekdish aflo b'shalaniim. One does not do business with hekdish. One does not do business really like invest the funds in a more aggressive way for hekdish for tzedakah l'fichach zevazel lo hayumodin beperos. Therefore, again, both agreed that Allah lamaisa. Both both agreed that the case of Peros in the case of Peros, we'll see what that means in just a moment. If you take a look, actually, at the at the um, all right, we'll, we'll see. We'll actually we'll, we'll pick up on the we'll pick up on the Carbonaida in just a moment. Fine. Both agree the higher modem Peros. Both agree ultimately going to both say that the leftover amounts were not used. Al daiti Drabiochanan Kashia. But according to your approach, Rabbi Yochanan, we have a problem. You spoke with Dalabo, say that's the case of Saravius. Right? Let's say again, I can't, contracted with me to provide for them four for, saw per sella. But then the price of wheat went up, or price of flour went up. You could only get three saw per sella. They still have to provide, I still have to provide the base of with the contract amount. The Taninon, Zev is Allah so we'll say ultimately again, they agreed, they did not agree that the leftover payros ultimately again go to the Ketamiz Beach. We'll also remember again, Ketamiz Beach, we keep using this term, we will, we will get into it more, but Ketamiz Beach means we never want the Mizbeach to be dormant. So there was like a supplemental sacrificial fund that whenever for some reason there were no Karbanos going on the Mizbeach, the Beis Hamikdash was able to furnish its own Karbanos. But they did agree that what they called the leftover Peros, so I'm sorry, they did not agree that what they called the leftover Peros would fund the Ketz HaMizbeach, but they did agree that the leftover Peros, what we call the leftover Peros, would fund Klisharis. Ad kidon berut seitzibor. So the Gemara says, "Well, let me analyze this. Can the leftover? Well, so remember again, berut seitzibor means the surplus funds from the heaping of the measures to the base hamikdash. So Rabbi said there was profit. There was profit gained from that. So is that profit permitted to be used to purchase klisharis? So Rabbi said, what's the problem with that? See, remember again, Rabbi said, the problem with it is what happens if that over, that, that heaping is coming from an individual? Rabbi said, this goes back to yesterday's sugya, which is certain items, a whole discussion about whether or not something given by an individual could be transformed into something communal. So the Gemara if you accept the overbrimming, right, the heaping of an individual, does it, and you use that, that, that surplus to purchase klisharis, does it not effectively mean that klisharis are coming from the donations of an individual? But how could that happen? Klisharis has to come from communal funds. Kehadla de Taninon is what we learned yesterday. Isha Shasta Kisonatlibna Kshira Obilvachet Tim Serena So we learned this already yesterday. That Alakalamaisa, this was the case of the woman who made a, a, a tunic, Big De Kuna, for her son. She wants her son to wear the Big De Kuna that she made. I, the Big De Kuna, has to come from communal funds, to which the Gemara answered it works as long as what? As long as what? She gives it over 
to the tzibor. She gives it over to the tzibor. So Trabosa, even if you want to say that the klisharis ultimately again is being funded from the overbrimming of individuals, as long as they are giving it over to the Beis Hamikdash, it works. So the Gemara goes weiter. Ad kidon beirut zelach. Again, up until now, we've been speaking about the overbrimming with a liquid measure. What about the overbrimming with solid measures? If you have libations that became a kudosh in a utensil, and then it turns out that, remember, you don't normally bring the sachem by themselves. Nesachim accompany an animal carbon. So let's say again you have the Nesachim. They were sanctified in a klisharis. Then the carbon itself becomes disqualified. If there's another carbon, you just offer up that Nesachim with this other carbon. And ultimately again, if there's not another carbon, let them sit overnight. And and ultimately again, they will become disqualified by sitting overnight. Therefore, you see over here that halacha an item, the Sachim, only become Kadosh if they are sitting in a Klishares. Right? In other words, so the Sachim cannot become Kadosh if sitting in a regular Kli, only in a Klishares. Therefore, again, Halacha any overbrimming, right, if that's the right word, overbrimming or heaping, where Halacha again, the excess amount was not in a Kli, was not in a Klishares, it would not become Kodesh. Good. So the takeaways from this Sugya, First of all, interestingly enough, we're now introduced to new funds, right? We see Moser HaPeros, Moser Nesachim. There's a machlokis what these mean. But here, right, so machlokis is exactly what the definition is, but we know what they represent are the excess amounts from what we'll call advantageous contracts, the supply contracts, the Beis HaMikdash, because when you supplied anything to the Beis HaMikdash, you got locked in at a certain amount. And even if the price went up, you had to honor the contract. Of course, if the price went down, the Beis HaMikdash has a right to renegotiate. That surplus amount represents profit. That's a new fund, right? So that's what we call Sa'ad Dalid, right? Sa'ad Dalid. Then there's also, we'll say, the overbrimming or heaping amounts. That was also a source of access. That was Beirutzin. That was Beirutzin. And then ultimately, again, the next one was the profits through the sale of wine and oil. So three new funds, or really three new sources of funds were introduced to in this Gemara. We also saw the Kohanim are built, each of the Kohanim are building their own, their own bridge, not pomposity or arrogance, but Halakalamais again as a show of reverence for the Paradumukhter. Says the Mishnah, most Kitaras Mahay Osama was very interesting, we'll say. The leftover Kitaras, what would they do with it? It's really fascinating. But we'll say so again we don't have time to get into it, but you'll take a look on your own on the Tiklin Khadatin. There was almost always leftover Kitaras. Almost always leftover Kitaras. Now you'll say to yourself, we'll just use it next year. You can't do that, we'll say, because remember again Kitaras always had to come from the current year's funds. So now, what do you do if you have leftover Ketoros? This is actually quite fascinating. So, so we'll say, here's what they would do. They would pay the workers, right? The Umnin, we'll see which workers. But the Umnin of the Beis they would pay them with leftover Ketoros. Now we'll say, but one second, you can't pay workers with Ketoros. Why not? Why not? Ketoros is Kodesh. So watch what they would do. So, Watch this, Rabbi say. So here's what they would do. So let's say again, uh, one of the workers was owed $1,000. 
So they would designate $1,000 worth of kitoris as the salary for this for one particular worker. And then what would they do? Then they would, they would separate money from the base HaMikdash. Remember again, where do you pay the workers from? That also sounds like you would get paid from the Maktis HaShakel. Then they would separate out some money from the Lishka of the Maktis HaShakel. And what would they do? They would go ahead, they would redeem the Ktores onto the money, onto the money, and I will say now, effectively, what they did was deconsecrate the Ketores onto the money. I will say, watch this. Then they would pay the, the Umnin, the workers, with Ketores. And then, I will say, this is great. And then they would repurchase the Ketores from the Umnin with that year's new Machtis HaShakel. So we'll see here what just happened over here. There's two things that are happening over here. We need to pay the workers. But I will say, what else do we want to do? We want to be able to use any leftover Ketores. But you can't use leftover Ketores. Why not? Because leftover Ketores was purchased with last year's Machtis HaShakel. So I can't use it. Right once Nissan rolls around, I need to use Ketores that was purchased with this year's Machzah Shekel. So we'll say, this is brilliant. Only Jews come up with these ideas. Right? So we'll say, watch this. So what do we do? We essentially say, okay, we're going to pay the workers with Ketores. Well, so in order to do that, you have to deconsecrate Ketores. So what do we do? We separate out Ketores, the equivalent to the worker's wage. Then we separate out Machzah Shekel, equivalent to, the, well, at least that we think is Machzah Shekel. We're going to change that in just a moment. We separate out money from the Mikdash, equivalent to the worker's wage. We deconsecrate the, the Ketores onto the, onto the money, pay the workers with the Ketores, and then what? Repurchase the now deconsecrated Ketores with this year's Machtis HaShakel. Incredible. And I will say that way the workers have gotten paid with real money because no one really wants to get paid with Ketores, right? And this way, again, because we repurchased the Ketores with this year of Machtis HaShakel, we now have the ability to use it in the current year. So it says the Gemara, Vim ba chodesh bizmana lochin osa mitzumah al-chadosha, vim labnaneishana. Fine. So we'll say, so the Mishnah just adds in over here, and if the new monies came in, right, the, the new, the new Machs HaShakel came in in time, we repurchased the, the Ketores with the new Machs HaShakel, but if not, if we have no choice, we have to repurchase it with the old Machs HaShakel. So the Gemara says, one second, we'll say, how does that work? In other words, in order to deconsecrate something, what do you need to do? You need one item that's consecrated, and what? And what? One item that's chulin. Well, said so the problem over here is if you're deconsecrating, if you're deconsecrating Torahs on Machtsis Shekel, then what about say? They're both Kodesh. They're both Kodesh. So how can you deconsecrate Torahs on some collected Machtsis Shekel, which is Kodesh as well? To which the Gemara says, the wall. So I'm Rabbi Shimon Bamisna, maybe Maus. Oh, so both said, oh, by the way, there's one more step. Maybe Maus. This is great. You see, whenever there was like stuff built in the Beis HaMikdash, or for that, not necessarily in the Mikdash proper, but even in the Azoras, in the walls surrounding, the, the, when the item was built, it was chulin. It was unconsecrated. It was then subsequently consecrated. So what you would do, I will say, is as follows. You would bring the, you would bring the money from the Beis HaMikdash, and you would transfer the sanctity of the coins onto the newly built structures, thereby deconsecrating the coins. Once the coins were deconsecrated, then what? Then what? Then you could deconsecrate the Ktores 
onto the coins, and then maybe so let's finish. Umevi amid beis, umevi kitaros mechal aleim benosa osa lo umnin bischaram. We'll say yulal from the beis. We'll say ah. So now I have the complete picture. What's the complete picture? We'll say I take leftover kitaros. I separate the leftover kitaros as wages for the umnin for the workers. I then take money from let's call the machsa shekel. I then deconsecrate the machsa shekel onto newly built structures or newly built newly built walls, whatever it is. Transfer the sanctity of the coins onto the structures. Now the coins are chulin. Oh, once the coins are chulin, then what? I deconsecrate the kitores onto the coins, pay the umnin with the kitores, and then hopefully again take from the new year's shekel and what? Last step, last step, repurchase the kitores. Therefore, the, the umnen get their wages in coinage. We get to repurchase the kitores and reuse the kitores for the coming year. Incredible. So we'll say, what happens with that money? Right? What ultimately, again, should we do? We'll say, take a, take a look at the, at the carbon aida. He says on the top line, So we'll say, the original coins, the original coins, that ultimately, again, were used for the deconsecration of the Kitores. What do you do with them? Right? Because we'll remember again, we're using those coins to deconsecrate the Kitores. And then we're paying the Omnin with the Kitores. But which coins are you repurchasing the Kitores back with? The new Machtes Ashakal. So I have these coins now that were used for the deconsecration of the Kitores. What do you do with them? So we'll say this is incredible. So Rebbe Omer, Rebbe Omer, Omer Ani Yinasnu Lebeis Garmu Lebeis Sabatinos Shayubiki Shayubikiin BePitu Makhtoros Ma'isa Lechanaponim. So we'll say interestingly enough, Rebbe says I use them to pay the families of Garmu and Avatinos. So we're going to see this in Shabbos's daf. I use them to pay the families of Garmu and Avatinos, who were the families who were in charge of making the Kitoras and making the Lechem upon him. So incredible. So in other words, because of those coins essentially were vested with Ketorah's sanctity, I could do what? I could do what? I could use them to pay for the production of Ketorah's and Lechem upon him. Now we'll say, why Lechem upon him is lumped in there, we'll see. We'll see. No, not today. We'll see that over Shabbos. Amir Tashem. Amr B'Shobar, Yitzchak, Ve'hein Shiu Chayoven That only works assuming that you, you owed money to Garmu and Avatinas, that you owed money for these, to these families for the production of Kitores and Lechem HaPonim. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says, if you take a look here, if you take a look at the Karbana Eidah, again, I switched to Karbana Eidah a little bit today, second line, Vehein, Karbana Eidah writes, Vehushu Chayavan Lehem Lebeis Garmu, Maos Mishana Sha'avra. Right, Rebbe say, remember again, this is so fascinating, everything is so fast, everything's interconnected. Remember, this is about to become old money. Right? Old money. Remember, the, the, we'll say, why am I going through this whole exercise? Why am I going through this whole exercise? Because remember, the, right, the clock is ticking. The year is coming to an end. Nissan is here, which means any leftover guitarist really is unusable because it was bought with last year's shkalim. The only way to salvage it is to repurchase it with New Year's shkalim. So the Gemara says, New Year's shkalim. So the, the, the idea the Gemara says over here is that you could, now remember, so everything works out beautifully for the Umnin. The problem is now, what do I do with the money that was used to deconsecrate the Kitores, which essentially now has some level of Kitores sanctity? So the Gemara says, no problem. Just pay for Kitores and Lechem him with that money. It's perfect. Give it to the Garmu family. The Avatinas, these were the families who had the secret to the production of Kitores and the secret to the production of Lechem him. The Gemara says, perfect. 
as long as what? As long as what? There was an accounts receivable with the Garmu and Avatina family. As long as you, as long as you owed them money from the quote unquote past year, you're good to go. What happens if What if you didn't know that money? Let's say again, I will say you're all paid up with the Garmu family, Avatina's family. So what do you do with this money upon which Ketoros was deconstructed? I will say, this is riveting. No, this is really, I, I guess, like, it's funny, I left accounting, but I guess there's a part of me that still likes it. Right? I will say, this is, this is actually quite fascinating, right? So what, what are you going to do with this money? So the Gemara says, Asa, Asa, Rabbi Ba, B'Shir, Rabbi Yossi, Mekaitzin Ba, Masam, Izbeach. Oh, Rabbi say, what would you do with it? See, Rabbi here's what's interesting. The default, the default is you use it for the Kate Samizbeach fund. Well, so the Kate Samizbeach fund means what? Dessert of the Mizbeach. Once again, this goes back to what we said before. We never allow the Mizbeach to remain idle. We never want the Mizbeach to remain idle. So therefore, again, there's a fund. There's a carbon fund. The carbon fund is we always have. So we'll say, interestingly enough, what you begin to see is when in doubt or, or kind of like, when I have nowhere else to put the money, or I don't know exactly where to allocate it, so right, where do you allocate it to? Ketam is beach. So again, if in words, the, the most natural thing to use this money upon which was Kazars de- was deconsecrated was to pay the Gamon Avatina family. But that only works if you owed them money from this year. But if you didn't owe them any money, then in Achnami Ketam is beach. Incredible. Rabbi Bob, our coin boy Kume, Rabbi Osa, Machlafa Shitasi Drabhia Barba. Ultimately, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Barba, his shita seems to be contradictory. Why? Taman tsirichale. He just asked the question about what we do with the money. They call pshitale. But later on, he seems to really give a definitive answer about what to do with the money. To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, sharis. What he was asking Rabbi was, if let's say you don't have, if let's say again, the Garmo and Avatina's family are paid up, and therefore again, there is no one else, there is no one to pay with the money. So his question was, can you use it for Klisharis? That was his question. Can I use this money to purchase service utensils? What was clear to him is it certainly could be used for the Ketzim Izbeach fund. Because there's a machlokas. Pitma b'chulin. We'll say, what if you, now we'll say, pitma means you made the ketores. Pitma literally means com- compounded. If you compounded the ketores, you made the ketores in a klisharis. Or we'll say, b'chulin. I'm sorry, b'chulin means an unconsecrated utensil. Rabbi Yossi, be Rabbi Hanina, Amar Psula. Rabbi Hanina says, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. We'll say, ketores must be compounded in a klisharis. If you make it in a chulin utensil, it doesn't work. Rabbi Shoban Levi, Amar Ksher. Rabbi Shoban Levi says, it's kasher. Why does Rabbi Yossi hold that if you compound Ketores in a Kli, in a kli chulin, in, a, in an unconsecrated utensil, that is possible? So the Gemara says, Because it will say the Torah when it's Yisak Ketores says, It's Kodesh, it's consecrated. So because it's Kodesh, every step of Ketores must be done in a state of Kedusha. My time to Rabbi Shoban Levi. So why does Rabbi Shoban Levi hold that even if you make Ketores in an unconsecrated utensil, it's okay? Kadoshu shetehei ba mitshumas halishka. Oh, both say, because he holds, Kodeshu doesn't mean it has to be compounded in a klisharis. Kodeshu means it must come from consecrated monies. So both say, a really fundamental machlokas. I'm going to see. 
If a person consecrated his his property, and amongst his property were items were, that that were fit for sacrificial service for communal sacrificial service, Rabbi Yochanan Amar Kitores. Rabbi Yochanan said that that if it's Ketores, you can use it for Ketores. Now, both say, now watch this. If I consecrated my property and I have Ketores in my property, was that, where, how was that Ketores compounded? How was it made? How was it made? An unconsecrated utensil. Yet again, the Mishnah says it could be used in the base of Mikdash. What do you see from here? That Ketores need not be compounded in a Klishores on Rabbi Oshia, no, 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 what's the case? Maybe the case is where the guy who was being makdish, his nechassim, his property, was a member of the Avatinas family who made his kitores, even in, right, who, who was paid to make kitores from the Beis HaMikdash, and therefore his kitores was made with Kedusha. I, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Hanina, Kishmuel, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Hanina, Hosei, Kishmuel, the Amar of Huna, Bishim Shmuel, so we'll say the mortar, the mortar that was used to go ahead and make the Ketores, they made it like a Klisharis. They, they vested it with the Kedusha of Klisharis, which tells you that what you clearly see, that the compounding of Ketores does require a Klisharis. Amra Biosi Barabibun, Amra Rabbi Chuna, Kumei Rabbi Yosei, Davar Shakidish Beklisharis Nifta, because something that is made in a klisharis be redeemed. See, say, remember, again, we assume once you're made in a klisharis, you can't be redeemed. Yet, what was the Mishnah talking about? Say, what, do we do? what was the topic over here? Redemption or redeeming? Ktores. So, Amr Lei, below. The Gemara says, you're right. Under normal circumstances, you're right. Under normal circumstances, something is made in a klisharis, you can't redeem it. But I was saying, here you have leftover, leftover ktores. It is better to be a little bit more lenient in the redemption of leftover Ketores, then what? Then what? Then what? Then not use it. Because we'll say, what are you doing with leftover Ketores? What are you doing with it? Nothing. Or you can't really do anything. So it's better to be a bit more makel in redeeming leftover Ketores than essentially leave it unusable for all eternity. So the Gemara says, I'm going to leave it alone. This Palgun, because this was a Machlokes, hosts Siru Tamimim. So we'll say, unless you have animals, right? Karbanos Tamimim. Karbanos timimim, not timimim. Right? Let's say you had unblemished sacrificial animals which were left over. You didn't need them anymore. What's talacha? Shmuel Amar Niftin kitimimim. Shmuel says they're redeemed. Rabbi Yochanan Amar Niftin kipsule mukdoshin. Rabbi Yochanan says no, they are redeemed like psule hamukdoshin, which Rabbi say means that what? You set them out to graze, let them develop a mum, and then sell them off. Ultimately, again, I'll say if there were Sirim that were left over, they'll say this is a case. Ultimately, again, let's say the Beis Hamikdash purchased some extra sim, some extra goats for the Sir of Rosh Chodesh, and I have left over. I don't need them anymore. So what's that? I'll die the Shmuel im Ola Niftis Lakoshkin Chatas. According to Shmuel, if an Ola is redeemed, certainly a Chatas can be redeemed. I'll die to Rabbi Yochanan on Rabbi Zira Yiru. According to Rabbi Yochanan, you have to let it graze, develop a mum, and then ultimately could redeem it afterwards. No, you go ahead, you just repurpose it. You use it for dessert on the Mizbech. 
How can you do that? How can you take an animal that was designated as a chatos and now repurpose it for dessert of the Mizbeach? In other words, it was said to keep the Mizbeach not idle. Rabbi Yosef said as follows, Rabbi Yosef said, in a case of communal, communal chatos is different than a personal chatos. Other normal circumstances, you can't repurpose a personal chatos to something else, but a communal chatos, you can repurpose. So the Gemara says, So said, this is actually pretty incredible. So the Gemara says as follows, it could very well be that communal karbanos are different, that halacha lamaisa, communal karban, is, its identity is not solidified and concretized until when? Until the time of Shechita. Because I'm say it's almost like an implicit tenai within any karban of Sibor, which says that if we need to repurpose this, then what? Then what? We reserve the right to do so. And the only time you can't repurpose a carbon is when? Once it's been shechted. Because once it's been shechted, obviously its identity has been solidified and concretized. But until that point in time, if you need to repurpose it, you have the ability to do so. So I say, bottom line, halacha lamaisa, what comes out from this particular so? Yes, so say, we learn a couple of things from here. Number one, the fascinating deconsecration process of Ketoros, which is really, which is really incredible. I both say, right? So you have leftover Ketoros, you want to be able to use it into the new year. What do you do? You essentially separate it, identify it as the wages for the work people, the worksmen, right? Identify that as their wages. Go ahead of both saying what? Now remember, as you're doing that, there's another step. What's the other step? Separate out a corresponding amount of boxes of shakel. Deconsecrate that on newly built structures. You now have chul and money. You now have chul and money. Go ahead and now deconsecrate the kitoras onto the money. Pay the workers with the kitoras. And now repurchase the Kitoros with the new, new Year's Machsas Shekel from the artisans. Everybody's happy. Artisans got paid. Halacha Lamaisa. Kitoros has been bought back and can be reused. We then discussed. So, new, what do you do with the money? Both say, which money? Which money? Which money? The money upon which the Kitoros has been deconsecrated. What do I do with that money? So I will say, so again, that's subject to a bit of Machlokis. The easiest thing to do is use it to pay. Garmu family and Avatina's family who are making Kitaris and Lechem upon him. What happens if for some reason, again, you didn't have the ability to do that. So I will say it appears at the end of the day that will use it for Ketzah Mizbeach. It would go to the, would go, would go to the Mizbeach dessert fund to provide Karbanos for the Mizbeach when no other Karbanos were being brought. So what do we do about Kitaris? Can Kitoras be, can Kitoras be compounded? Which also means, when you're making the Kitoras originally, does it need to be made in a klisharis, or can it even be made in a kli that is chulin? So I will say, we pass in halacha that Kitoras must be compounded in a klisharis as well. Every step of the Kitoras, from the beginning of its compounding to its offering, must be done in a klisharis. So I will say, last important piece of information, which is the halacha Communal carbonos have this fascinating tenai attached to it. What's the fascinating tenai? I will say what's fascinating tenai that halacha lamaisa, based in or the base hamikdash reserves the right to repurpose it until the point of when shchita. Once shchita comes, which makes sense. Once shchita occurs, then obviously we're done. But until the point of shchita, 
based in the base Hamikdash reserves the right to repurpose it, and that's very important because if you end up having leftover things, you have both say the part. I'm sorry, we're going quickly. I know, but the part that I didn't cover was the base Hamikdash always had carbonos in reserve. Why? Because animals run away, animals die, animals develop a mum, right? Whatever it is. So they always had. So you had these cases where you had leftover. So let's say for Rosh Chodesh, I have to bring a chatos, a seer of a chatos. So I will say, I have an extra seer chatos. What do I do with it? What do I do with it? So therefore the Gemara says, Beis Hamikdash reserves the right to repurpose Kravanos up until the actual time of Surah. I will say, stop over here. Tomorrow Rav Kalman Akiva is giving, is giving shir for tomorrow's daf. We'll say shkayach. Good night. Chevron Zoom. Grace Chus to learn with you all. I feel, I feel that you're riveted by this daf, even though I have you all on mute. I'm mamish. I feel, I feel the energy over here. It's, uh, I don't know how I unmute you over here. Maybe you're unmuted. All right, I don't know. Anyway, Chevron, have a great day. Good night, everyone.